Amen, amen. Go ahead and grab your seat, grab your Bible, and uh, see if you can find the book of Habakkuk. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, if you didn't bring one, there should be one in a pew somewhere around you. Uh, it has a table of contents, but I can, I can tell you on that one, it's a page 646. Uh, if you're looking for it in your Bible, either go to the table of contents. No one's going to make fun of you. Most of us don't know exactly where to find that in our Bibles. But if you go to the New Testament and start turning back a little bit, there's some short little books there uh, with some interesting names, and we call those the minor prophets. Now, we don't call them minor prophets because they are less significant. For whatever reason, uh, over time, we've, we've designated some of the prophets major prophets and some of them minors, but this is not like baseball. There's not a major league and a minor league. It really has to do with the length of the writing. And so major prophets would be like Isaiah, which is 66 chapters, but minor prophets would be like Jonah, Nahum, Micah, and Habakkuk that we have today. Uh, Habakkuk is just three chapters. We're going to do it through the month of February. And, uh, and we'll get to why in a minute. Before we do, I want to thank you uh, just for... just. Man, I, I love this church. I really do. And, and one of the reasons I love this church is um, last week I was not here because I got to preach at a sister church, uh, Norwood Community Church on the north side. Had a great time there. But Donald did a great job, didn't he, last week? Those of you that were here, he did a great job. Uh, this morning, Keenan Rogers, one of our members, is over at Park Lane Baptist Church preaching, helping them fill the pulpit over there. And that's pretty exciting that we get to be a part of that, isn't it? And that was, I meant for y'all to clap, but okay. Uh, if you clapped long enough, I got to take a drink of water, but uh, y'all didn't take that cue. That's okay. Um, so what, what I'm grateful for is that uh, we have a slate of people that can be trusted to stand in the pulpit and bring God's word. Amen? Uh, because, listen, in our theme for this year is better together, pushing back the darkness. Everybody say better together. Better together. Everybody say pushing back the darkness. Those are really kind of two ideas, but they culminate together. So better together means when we have an opportunity to bless another church in this community, we're going to do it. We're going to partner with and help other churches. Better together means that Whenever we can partner with local schools, we're going to partner with them to do what they're doing. It means when we can partner with local other ministry organizations, we're going to partner. Better together means we realize we're not in competition. We're all on the same team, but we all have a job, and part of that job is pushing back the darkness. And so we do that through primarily God's Word, because God's Word is trustworthy. And here's the thing, though. Sometimes... If we're honest, and Habakkuk kind of shows us that we can do that, uh, sometimes it doesn't feel true. So trustworthy, right? We, we base things off of how often you're right, right? And so I was thinking about today's Groundhog Day, right? Today's Groundhog Day, if you didn't know that, which is a really weird old German tradition that came over from Germany to Pennsylvania and somehow swept the nation and has never gone away. Uh, even though it's just a really obscure tradition. Uh, there's a whole history to it. I can tell you about it afterwards if you want. I don't want to waste sermon time doing that. But the short version of it is there's a groundhog called Punxsutawney Phil, and he comes out on February 2nd every day. And if he, if he sees his shadow, uh, that means winter's going to continue for six more weeks. If he does not see his shadow, 
that's supposed to mean that we'll have an early spring. Well, so I, I was just curious. I was thinking about trustworthiness, and I thought, I wonder how many times Punxsutawney Phil's been right. We've been doing this, apparently, for over 100 years, been trusting a groundhog to tell us whether there's going to be more winter or not. And so I looked into it. You can find anything on the internet these days. So Punxsutawney Phil, today is the 134th time that we've asked this, not the same groundhog, but we've asked this groundhog to tell us. And out of, out of 134 times, he has a 39% accuracy. <laughs> so it's not great. Uh, so he's not the most accurate uh, meteor. I mean, honestly, he's not much worse than most meteorologists, but he, he's not super accurate. Now, here's the other interesting fact. I, when I was looking at that, uh, he predicts more winter out of 134 times. He has 114 times, I believe, said there will be more winter. So almost always, he tells you there's going to be more winter. Now, He's actually more accurate the handful of times, like today, when he says that it will be an early spring. So it goes from 37% to 47% accuracy. So we're almost up to an actual meteorologist at that point, uh, whenever Punxsutawney Phil uh, does not see his shadow and predicts that we'll have more uh, an early spring. Then I thought, okay, what else? Today is also Super Bowl Sunday. You know, and every time we have a Super Bowl, the... Uh, uh, Vegas, some guys in Vegas predict who's going to win the Super Bowl. And I thought, I wonder how accurate they are. How often do they get it right? And so I looked it up, and they have a 65% uh, accuracy rate. Out of the Super Bowls that we've had, 65% of the time they correctly predict who's going to win. It's so a little better than Punxsutawney Phil. Right? And today they have the Chiefs winning. Whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, they predict the Chiefs are going to win today in the Super Bowl. One of the things we see with Habakkuk in the time that he's at, he, he's wrestling with the systematic theology, uh, his understanding of who God is as Redeemer and what he sees going on around him. So just to give you a little historical background of what's going on in this short little book with a weird little name, is there was not always great kings. Uh, I, I didn't run the percentages. I've run them before actually, but the percentage of kings that the Bible considers good out of Israel is really, really low. But one of the good ones, one of the ones that the Bible says actually did a good job was a guy named Josiah. Uh, so Josiah came and he did a pretty good job. He, he kind of reinstituted a lot of worship. He did some really good things. He really centered uh, everybody, especially in Judah, really back on the word of God and on caring for others and serving the poor and honoring the Lord with our lives, and he really took everything in a really good direction. And he had a couple of sons. One of them would have been a really good king. He didn't end up being king. The other guy, Jehoiakim, ended up being king. Now, Jehoiakim was not a good king. Jehoiakim was not like his father Josiah in really almost any way at all. And he led Judah, specifically the southern part, uh, really badly. And all these horrible things were going on, and everybody was straying away from everything. And so Habakkuk was alive during that time as a prophet. Uh, he was around the same time as Nahum, uh, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah. All those guys were all prophets, kind of all around the same time together during this season of life. And all we know about Habakkuk is that he wrote this book. That's it. We don't, we don't have any other mentions of him or, or mentions of his biography or 
any more details about him. And part of that is because the message matters far more than the man. And so I could give you details if I had them, but I don't have any. All I know is his name, and I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right. And so, but we're going to look at the message of his observations and what he sees going on. Because his frustration is, believe it or not, initially really not with the world out there. So the reason I wanted to go through the book Habakkuk is with our theme being pushing back the darkness. One of our one of our thoughts in that is obviously we go out of here and we carry our light. We go into the darknesses going in the world. And I can share all sorts of stats with you about darkness going on out in the world outside of these doors. But Habakkuk's initial frustration is actually with the people of God, with the covenant people of God. And so when he calls this out, he's not talking about the Babylonians. He's not talking about the Assyrians. He's not talking about all those pagans. He's talking about the covenant people of God have strayed from who God has called them to be, and that's where his frustrations are. And so if you would, stand with me as we read the Word of God. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the bitter, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize the dwellings, not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. And then they sweep by like the wind, and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us much like you speak to Habakkuk with truth, even if it's not the truth we want to hear. Lord, that we would be seekers of truth. Lord, that we would experience you this morning. I ask you to use me, a broken vessel, speak through me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The very first verse reveals to us the burden of darkness. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. That's the end of the bio. That's all we know about it. Now, this word for oracle... Uh, could also be translated burden, which is why I call this the burden of darkness. Uh, it basically means a, a vision, a, a revealing of truth that God has given this prophet. And so this prophet, so this whole conversation, what we see here is a conversation between Habakkuk and God. 
Um, and and it's pretty bold. It's reminiscent, really, of some of the things that like Job brings up, right? Job brings up some charges like this against God. Now, he gets a different response uh, than Habakkuk gets. He basically gets, who are you to ask that question? But Habakkuk actually gets an answer. Now, part of this is he's getting a vision from God. God's giving him this vision of this conversation that he gets to have with Habakkuk. And when we look at pushing back the darkness out there, we have to first also look here in ourselves. When we talk about justice and we talk about evil and we talk about wicked and we talk about darkness and we talk about sin and all those things, we have a a real quick tendency to look outward as we have that conversation. But really, we must realize when we talk about, when we ask the question that Habakkuk is asking, that philosophers would say actually goes back to a guy named Epicurus, but they, they're, they're actually wrong. It actually goes all the way back to, really, Job is one of the earliest books written in the Bible, and he asks this question. Habakkuk asks this question. It's a question we still ask a lot. We talked about it on a Wednesday night. Why do bad things happen to good people? This is one of the frustrating things that feels like an inconsistency. We read about God being loving and merciful and kind, and, but also all-powerful. And so the way that Epicurus put it basically, and I'm probably not pronouncing his name right either, but he, he essentially said if God is all good, all powerful, can do all things, and he's all, all good, he loves all things, and he's so nice and kind and wonderful, then why are bad things happening? Because either he is not being good or he can't do good. And this is a question that people have wrestled with for a really long time. This is Habakkuk's question. And I think we've got to be honest. We've got to be willing to ask hard questions. We can't be afraid of questions in the church. Far too often in church, we, we act like we just have to be spoon-fed, like faith is this blind following. Faith is not blind following. Truth, truth is not an enemy of faith. Faith, faith is stronger than your ability to understand truth but it will never contradict truth. God is not inconsistent. He may feel inconsistent to us. He may seem inconsistent to us. We will have moments like Habakkuk has where we look and we observe the things around us and we think, it just seems like you've forgotten me. It seems like you're gone. This is, there's so many psalms that communicate this idea. It seems to me when I look around like you're not at work. I've asked you for things for so long. And so this oracle, this burden of darkness starts with opening our eyes. You ever been to somebody's house that has a whole lot of pets? Don't point, don't nudge. But, but there's like a smell, right? And they don't realize there's a smell because they become nose blind to it. They live in it. It's, it's what their house smells like. And so it just becomes normal to them. But you go and you think, that's kind of an odd smell. And you don't know whether you should say anything or not. And, and then if you are one of those people that the filter doesn't work and you just say it, then they may seem very surprised. Like, what do you mean, what, what smell? Right? Because they, it's just what they've noticed. We become nose blind to the darkness in our own lives. Listen to me. Each and every one of us have blind spots. They're called blind spots because we can't see them, right? So 
there are areas of your walk with Christ that are falling short and you don't even know it. This is part of the reason good fellowship, good biblical community is really good. When somebody that loves you, that cares about you, can look in the eyes and say, hey, I just want to tell you something. You kind of come across mean whenever you say things like that. You don't realize it, but it, it's coming across really rude. Or, hey, I felt really dismissed by you when that happened. Or, hey, you don't realize that you completely ignore that person all the time. Right? And we don't like to hear those things. But before we can talk about the wickedness and darkness out there, we have to recognize here, because here's the deal. I don't think, I don't think asking why do bad things happen to good people is the right question. When we ask that question, we're making presumptions that we understand who's good, who's bad, what is good, and what is bad. Right? And there's a thousand analogies we could take to this, right? If you've ever had a small child, a baby, and you're, you're feeding it, and you know that it needs to be on a certain feeding schedule, um, you do your best not to let that baby see the bottle, because as soon as they see the bottle, they want the bottle. But if it's not the right time to give them the bottle, right? I, I, I'm in airports often right now in the season of life, and I, I saw in an airport a mom with the baby, and, and I could tell, I could kind of see what she was thinking. She wanted to feed the baby once they got on the plane because it would help the baby calm down and go to sleep. But she was digging through her purse, and she accidentally pulled the bottle out in order to see something else. And when she did, the baby saw the bottle and started screaming. So we're in the waiting area at our gate, and the baby's just, I mean, just at the top of its lungs, just screaming bloody murder. And the mom's waiting. She's waiting because she realizes as much as this is annoying now, it'll be much more annoying at 24,000 feet in the air and a flying tin can. And, and so as a good mom, she waits. Now, that baby probably doesn't think her mom is all good and all powerful at that moment. That baby thinks either that mom is not good and doesn't love me because she's not giving me that bottle, which I quite obviously so strongly desire, or she is not powerful and cannot give it to me. The baby doesn't get that the best thing for that baby and everyone else around and the mother's blood pressure is to just wait. Just wait. In the same way, we have to understand that the gap of intelligence between a baby and its mother is much smaller than the gap of intelligence between human beings and God himself. So we have to at least acknowledge the very real logical possibility that sometimes there are things that seem inherently wrong and evil to us that might very well be part of God's plan for our good. We just maybe see it differently. So one, we got to start there and understand that. But two, as we open our eyes and our eyes are opened, when we see darkness, there becomes a burden with that. This is why uh, this particular word is used instead of vision or prophecy. This word oracle means a vision that is a burden. This, this is a burden. Uh, I believe it's the same word used in Nahum, talking about predicting the fall of Nineveh. This burden, this oracle, this vision, the burden of darkness. When we open our eyes to what's going on in us and around us, it will become a burden. So sometimes 
Sometimes we just ignore those things. So what are we to do when those things happen? Well, I think Habakkuk gives us a great example to follow in he doesn't complain, this is key, he doesn't complain about God. He complains to God. He takes his anxieties and worries to God. Here, here's the deal. When things in your world don't make sense, rather than complaining that God hasn't done what you want him to do, go to him. The great news is he's big enough and strong enough and holy enough and awesome enough. He's not, he's not going to be wounded by you. Bring your frustrations to him. Listen, in, if you read this passage, it says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? This cry is not, um, help, help. It's wailing. This word for cry means wailing. I'll never forget uh, my freshman year of college, August 27th, uh, I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. On the same day, one of my best friends, in a completely different scenario, I did it late that night. He had, early that morning, had actually gone to church. I didn't go to church that day. It was a Sunday. He went to church. I did not go to church. And he professed faith as well. Man, me and him used to run and do a lot of really unwise things together. Not two guys you would have thought would have professed faith to Christ. But on the same day, on the same day, completely separate from each other, we do that and uh, I remember seeing him that evening right after I'd done that, and I thought, i got to tell him because this means some of the things we've been doing, we probably need to curtail some of that behavior. And, and so I go to talk to him, and I tell him, and he goes, me too! We freak out. We're so excited. And his mom is a dear friend of mine, and I, she, she's a sweet woman invested in my life. And a few years later, that friend got married and uh, before we were even done with college. And, and I'll never forget, uh, and he was a really crazy driver, um, he had wrecked several vehicles, and I get worried he'd had another wreck. But this one was really serious. And he was in the hospital, he was in the ICU, and so people at our church, we go and we, I mean, we filled that ICU, standing room only. There was, there was probably 60 people, in, and we just packed in, in, in like the waiting room area, and we just, and his mom was just wailing. And we all prayed, and we prayed so hard and we begged God to heal him, and we begged God to heal him, and we begged God to heal him, and he didn't. My friend died that day, and I really wrestled with that reality for a very long time of how to handle that. What, did, what does that mean for me theologically? As a young believer, trying to figure out if, if God's faithful people because I realized maybe I wasn't faithful enough for my prayers to matter at that season of my life. But I looked around the room, and there were lots of very faithful people begging God, lots of them begging God. And those were just the people there. I knew that at that church there were hundreds of other people that were at their homes praying and begging God to move. And I really got frustrated with God. And I look at what Habakkuk says, and this is his frustration. Lord, how long? How long shall I cry out for help and you will not hear? Or I cry to you, violence, I'm letting you know what's going on. I'm, I'm telling you that these bad things are happening and you're not saving. Why, why do you make me see this? Why do you make me see iniquity? See, God has opened his eyes and other people are nose blind to all the sin going on in Judah, but not Habakkuk. 
He's not nose blind. He notices it all and he sees it all. And he's crying to God, why are you pointing all this out to me? Why am I seeing all this? Why do you, why do you idly look at it, he says. I mean, he's really, he's not holding back. He's bringing a, a strong charge against God here. Why are you just standing idle there, God, when all this wrong is happening? Just destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And so there's the destruction and violence of all these enemies that are attacking. But there's also within us strife and contention. Neighbors aren't getting along with each other. People are breaking covenants. There is social injustice. There is political wildness. It's just going crazy. Honestly, it doesn't sound all that crazy different than what's going on in our world today. But Habakkuk's frustrated, and he's had enough, and he goes, so the law is paralyzed. The word means, uh, the best west side Jacksonville way I can interpret that is it's saying literally like the law is like a deer caught in headlights. It, it means stunned. It means, um, it's the same word used in Genesis when, uh, when Joseph sees his brothers, right? You remember that story? Joseph, and he becomes second under Pharaoh, and all of a sudden his brothers come, and he's like shocked. These are the brothers that tried to kill him, and he's just stunned. He's speechless. That same word there is used here when it says, so the law is paralyzed. Like, you have laws, God. You've given them to us, but it's like they do nothing. It's like you're standing there doing nothing when everything is happening, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, and so justice goes forth the word perverted really could be translated twisted. Justice goes forth twisted. Everything's twisted. Everything's not going the way it's supposed to go. If you've not had that moment in your life as a believer, it's probably coming. And here's what I want to give you freedom to do. Here's what, not me, here's what the word of God gives you freedom to do. To be honest in that moment. But don't complain about God. Complain to God. Jesus tells us that we're to cast our anxieties on him. Lay them on him. You ever, had, you ever had somebody emotionally vomit on you like that? Like you read this and you ever had somebody just come to you and as a rant similar to this? Maybe they're not as poetic as Habakkuk, but they just, blah, blah, just let you know all these frustrations and things going on. And it kind of sits on you for a little bit, doesn't it? Right? And, and here's, this is why, like, with counselors, with military chaplains, like, they limit how many hours you're allowed to sit there and take that. You know why? Because it does something to you. Right? You can't do that eight hours a day every day. You can't. They, they literally, like, good counselors, good chaplains, good pastors, people who receive a lot of this kind of stuff, they, they segment it out, and they have to have breaks. Because emotionally, it can be a lot to hold and all that from other people when, when they throw all these burdens on you that are theirs. They're not your burdens, but they, they cast them onto you and it kind of sits on you. <clears throat> the great news about the Lord is he, we can all cast our anxieties on him and it's not going to overwhelm him. Part of it, part of why it overwhelms, it can be overwhelming for humans is because we don't I don't, have, I don't have an answer for you all the time. Sometimes when you come to me, and listen, I'm not saying don't do that, please. This is part of my job, my calling, my gifting, what God has given me to do. If you want to come, I'm not telling you don't emotionally vomit. Please do. Call me. Let's, let's sit. I'm here, and I, I want to walk that with you. I really honestly do. It's an honor and a privilege for me to walk that with you. But I, I'm not equipped to do it all day. I can't do it eight hours a day. 
Jesus can. 24 hours a day. You can throw your anxieties on him. And so be like Habakkuk and take your anxieties to him. But understand this. He may not always answer the way you want him to. Let's look at what, how God answers him. So one, it's fascinating that God answers him. God hears him and God answers him. Because remember back at Job, Job did something similar and God basically goes, hey, did you make the whole world? That's like the really quick version of that. But he, like, he lists out details. Like, do you tell the, the waves when to stop? Do you, do you store the winds that go? Like, do you, did, you, did you come up with all this? Are you smarter than me? Just trust me. But this time, for whatever reason, God answers. It's definitely not an answer that Habakkuk wanted or anticipated, though. God says in verse 5, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now, i got to stop for a second and make sure... Everybody say context. Context is so important. I heard a story about a youth camp that made this their theme verse. If you know the rest of the story, that's a really bad idea. If you understand. Now, it sounds good in isolation, pulled out of context by itself. It sounds really cool, right? Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And it sounds like, man, God's going to do something awesome. That's not what God's going to say. He's actually going to say, I'm going to send the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, I'm going to kill a lot of you. So it's a really bad youth camp thing. <laughs> so don't put this on your coffee mug or your T-shirt or, right? This, this, is judge, this is God's judgment. Now, God's judgment is something we don't like talking about. We want to, look, we just, did th- we just did four weeks on love God, love his church, love people, be centered on Christ and all the loving things. And on Super Bowl Sunday, I'm going to take you to Habakkuk and the judgment of God. I didn't intentionally plan that for Super Bowl Sunday, but I did intentionally make us look at this because in order for us to understand how good the good news is that we have, how bright the light is, we have to understand how dark the darkness is. And one of the questions I will always remind you of when we say we've been saved, which is a way we like to say things, right? When we say someone's come to saving faith in Christ, we have to ask the question, who or what are we being saved from? And the hard reality that we don't like to acknowledge We're being saved by God from the very judgment of God. We're not being saved just from hell. We're not being saved from the devil. We're being saved from the wrath and judgment of God. And when judgment comes, when God brings judgment, it is always intended to bring repentance. Always. Judgment is meant to bring us to repentance. As we see it happen, as it happens to us. And so he says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told, for behold. So what is he going to do that he wouldn't believe if told? For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. It's really just another way to say Babylonians. 
Now, who are the Babylonians? Just to put this in context for you for a moment, just think if you were to go to God with complaints you have about society and the church and all these things like Habakkuk, and you said, God, our nation is just, it's strayed from what it's supposed to be. It's not what it's supposed to be. And you share all these frustrations with God. And why don't you do anything? And God goes, oh, don't worry, I got this. ISIS has taken over next month. That's essentially how God answers Habakkuk. But these guys, the Babylonians, are really, really bad people. I mean, really bad. God's going to give you some instructions, some details, not instructions, on how bad they are. Essentially, this, I mean, how surprised would you be if you went to God and said, God, you must do something. Bring about revival in this nation. We've, we've gone so far from what we're supposed to be. And he goes, oh, I got this. North Korea's taken over. That's essentially the response that Habakkuk gets. He is, so here, listen to how he describes the Babylonians. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. In other words, go forth. Now, here's, here's two things I want you to think about when you hear this. When you hear the description of the Babylonians, I need you to view this through two lenses. One is historically, culturally, contextually, it's giving you information on who the Babylonians, the Chaldeans are, what kind of people, and see some of these things. But pay attention to the things that God points out and see if you don't need to look in the mirror and see some of these things in your own life. Here, follow me, here's what I'm saying. His charge against them is that their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. This is reminiscent in the book of Judges when it says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is ignoring what Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6 says, lean not on your own understanding, but let the Lord guide your steps. Right. In other words, one of his charges against the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, is that they decide in their own right what justice is. They decide in their own right what that looks like. Now, listen to me. This is a big deal to God when we do that. When we decide in our own eyes what justice looks like, that's a big deal to God. We are to trust in him. Verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. This language is also found in Jeremiah uh, and Isaiah describing the Babylonians. Uh, they were a very effective army. These guys were good. It was just not, they were not slouches. I mean, these, this was, it wasn't just that they had a lot of them. It wasn't just that they were mean. It wasn't just that they decided what justice was on their own. They were well-trained, well-equipped. They, they were a fierce opponent. Verse 9, they all come for violence all their faces forward. In other words, uh, they're not scared of violence. They're not squeamish about it. They enjoy the violence of war. These are men who want it. They're hungry for it. They want the bloodshed. They want the violence. They're not interested in negotiating. They're not interested in just taking over your land and you subjecting underneath them. They want violence. They gather captives like sand. 
at kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. There was a, there was a uh, tradition in that time where when you went to an attack uh, a city, there, you might kind of parlay outside of the city and the king might come out and negotiate surrounded by guards and they said, for them they say they scoff at that. Don't send your king out to negotiate, they'll just kill him. And when they say gather like sand, they would literally build almost like these ramps with sand so they could take battering rams and build momentum and just knock down your wall. And so while you're sending your king out, they're already starting the battle. They laugh at every fortress. I mean, you can't build something so big and powerful, these guys can't take it down, for they pile up earth and take it. Again, that idea of gathering, building up for momentum. They sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. So, again, look at who the Babylonians are, but look at who you are. They find strength in themselves. Now, the judgment of God is a hard, hard truth for us to swallow, but it is a reality. Now, when God said, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. There are three imperatives there, to look, to, to see, to observe, and to ponder. So God didn't want to just tell Habakkuk about these things that were happening. He wanted him to see it. He wanted him to think about it. Now, what Habakkuk doesn't get to see, but we we do, is that this was really just a preempting of the amazing thing that we wouldn't believe if he told us when one day on a hill, God himself would be defeated by the enemies of Israel. See, one of the things that Habakkuk's going to struggle with here is how is this your answer? How is it, I mean, Why? Why would you use the Chaldeans? Why would you use the Babylonians? You just told me how horrible they are. They're your enemies. Why would you use your enemies on your people? This is why God tells Habakkuk, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't understand it. You wouldn't get it. This is why when, when Jesus walked the earth and talked about a kingdom that was greater than what was here, and everybody wanted him to fix the socio-political problems here. Everybody wanted him to fix what was going on right then. They wanted to get them outside of the oppression of Rome. They wanted to make their lives better right now, right here. And Jesus kept saying, no, I got a bigger picture in mind. And then when he asked, who do, you, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, Christ, the son of the living God. But then he, he, Jesus tells them, here's how this is going to play out. We're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to get killed. And Peter, like Habakkuk, can't get it. He looks and he sees and he wonders and he goes, no, that's a really bad plan, Jesus. That's essentially what he tells me. He goes, look, not when I'm around, it's not going to happen. I'm not letting that happen. And Jesus doesn't go, hey, man, I appreciate you having my back. He goes, get behind me, Satan. Here's, here's the big, big story you got to get out of this. And this is a hard truth. This is a hard, hard truth. You're not, look, I hope whoever you wanted to win the Super Bowl wins because this is not super encouraging at the moment. Sometimes God's plans are completely different than ours. 
And like Habakkuk responds in chapter 3 and 2 encourage you, go home, read all of Habakkuk, get to the end of the story. Habakkuk basically says, like the end of Psalm 13 that we did the responsive reading today, but I will trust your steadfast love. And I will sing praises to your name. So if you are going through difficult times right now, um, there's a burden of that darkness, and I get that. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. He's strong enough to take them. Galatians 6, let some, listen to me, and especially if you're going through darkness in your life right now. Listen really close. I'm speaking with pastoral authority into your life right now, and I need you to listen, and I need you to be obedient. Don't do it alone. In Galatians chapter 6, it says, when we come along as each other, and we carry each other's burdens with each other, we therefore fulfill the law of Christ. You, listen to me, you were not meant to walk in darkness alone. You were not meant to carry that burden by yourself. You were not meant to carry that by yourself. Let the body of Christ be the body of Christ to you. That's his plan. Because we get to read Habakkuk and we get to realize that yes, Babylon does end up overtaking Judah and they destroy the temple and all these horrible things happen and that that was really a picture of when Rome would take over and they would destroy Jesus, the temple, but three days later he would raise. And so Romans 8 says that nothing now can separate us from the... We have what Habakkuk didn't. Nothing now can separate us from the love of God. For we are more than conquerors in Christ. And there is no one without hope that has Jesus. You may not see the hope, you may not feel the hope, but I promise you, you have it. And if you don't see it, it's because you are walking in darkness right now. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for that. I'm telling you, you weren't meant to walk that alone. You were meant to cast your anxieties on the Lord and to carry each other's burdens together. So the last thing I want to I challenge you with, and I'm going to close this in prayer, the response. I'm going to do this through the month of February, through Habakkuk. I was eventually going to get more hopeful. And then, starting in March, we're going to do uh, a series called Who's Your One? And I've been telling you about this, and I want you to start thinking about it. So I'm actually going to ask you to think of two people. So I'm going to cheat today and call it Who's Your Two? Uh, it doesn't really fit the branding and the story, but just go with it. Here's what I mean. I want you to think of one person within the church that you can either ask them to help you carry a burden or you can help carry theirs. Who's one person in this church whether you know they have a burden or not, or whether, whatever, whether, even if you don't, just doing life together. Somebody. And I would encourage you to take them out this week to lunch or have a good long phone call with them or connect outside of here with people that are here. Be the body of Christ together. And the other one that we're emphasizing this year is who is one person that's far from God that needs the hope of the gospel that you could pray for, that you could... You could just every day, and you can invite them to church. You can share the gospel with them. There's one person all year that you're praying for, thinking through. We're going to really ramp that up in March. But start thinking about and praying about who that is now. So I'm going to close some prayer. And after I pray, here's what I'd like to do is I'll be down front. If you want to uh, come talk with me, 
um, and pray with me. I, I'd, I'd be glad to do that with you. If you want to know more of what that hope of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ is, I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, if you want to meet with me afterwards, especially if you're a guest here today, I'd love to meet you. Uh, fill out a Connect card, bring it back to me in the, in the Welcome Center. And listen, here, here's the other deal. Everybody in here, you can take a Connect card if you want. And on the back, there's a blank space where it says, how can I pray for you? And you can either write out how you want me to pray for you if you want. And, and here, here's the uh, a kind of rule we've established here. If you want it to be for my eyes only, all you got to do is take it and fold it in half. And if you fold it in half, the people who take it and put it in the office know that means it goes on my desk. And nobody else reads it. Nobody else sees it if you fold it in half. On that, if you want a, a schedule a meeting with me and you, you say, I, need, I just need to, I need to get some things out, just say that. And I'll get in touch with you. I'll be glad to do that with you. Uh, let's pray. God Almighty, we're grateful for your grace and your mercy even when we don't see it at work. Lord, as we've sung here so many times before, even when we don't see it, you're working. Even when we don't feel it, you're working. Lord, may we put our hope in you. Lord, I know there are some that are dealing with great burdens and great difficulty. But I pray that they would cast their anxieties on you, they would lean on the body of Christ, and they would find their hope in you. But I do pray that you bring wholeness and comfort to their souls. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.